Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is Taylor Dammel and The Shark. We're brought to you by Dash Radio and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. I actually heard Chasen Randall, former point guard for Stanford. He subscribes, so you should as well. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. All right, let's open the curtains. So Taylor, I don't know if you caught last week's episode, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the bourbon company—I've already forgotten their name. Blue Note. Oh, yeah, they dropped us. Sack of potatoes. Wow! Just were we not plugging them enough on here, or what? That might have been the most consistent part of this whole show. Stay <laughs> noteworthy. Memphis is like the only three words I can remember from any episode that we've ever done. I don't want to keep bringing them up because obviously at the end of last week's episode, the shark gave him a hug, but I just wanted to let you know if you were saying to yourself, wait, what the hell happened to responsible by blue note bourbon, artfully crafted small batch bourbon distilled in Memphis, be noteworthy Memphis. Wow. I just wanted to give you the heads up. So who's paying us now then? They weren't even paying us. Nobody's paying us. (laughs) We're this is a nonprofit. This, this is a pro bono podcast. <laughs> here. <laughs> not nonprofit. Is it nonprofit or not for profit? Are those the same things? I don't know. Sans profit. Yeah. Regardless, there's zero <laughs> zero cash from any sponsors. But yeah, this is a call. We're sending out the the titch signal. No no bat signal, but the titch signal. Uh, if you want to sponsor us, please feel free. Speaking of Batman, though, I saw the Joker earlier this week. Shark and I are actually putting in minutes right now, chopping a lot of wood regarding uh, Oscar films. And you know who said it best? Failure to prepare is preparing, preparing to fail. So you got to get all these films in. And have you guys seen The Joker, either of you? Nope. No. I only I saw don't know. Uh, yeah, I stopped on the Batmans after the one with uh, 
what's his face? Tom Hardy. Yeah, I, I think that was the last one, notable oh. one. Oh, well, yeah. I, I thought that was like that's the end of the that's the end of the story. Why we're going on all these tangents? We're going to the Joker. Then I saw Margot Robbie. She's got her own movie coming out because she's one of the girls in the in the Gotham City universe. It's like I, we don't need a storyline after everyone we encounter in a. In, a, in the street, you know, like I don't need to know what this guy's life is all about. I don't need a two-hour biopic about him. There are certain I, characters that we had to do it for, but I, the Joker didn't they just make a Joker? We just yes. did one. There's like four now in the last twelve years or something ridiculous. And there's like, like seventeen that. Spider-Mans and sixteen yeah. Batmans. I I I, I, I I say this all the time, and I'm I'm as we discussed before, my level of theater is knowledge is well below you guys, but. How hard is it to be like the ideas person at a at a like studio right now? Hey, hey, guys, I got an idea. Let's make the fifteenth fucking Marvel film of the last ten years. Oh, and everyone, what does everyone's head in the meeting just explode? Like, oh my god, what an idea! Like, holy shit, let's promote this guy. And then three months later, someone's like, hey, 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 Batman again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's like I, is that is that every meeting in the in the movie studios like meetings with the uppers for the last fifteen years? Can I actually jump in real quick there? Uh, I just want to throw this out there because I actually had a phenomenal idea for a movie within the past six months, and I noticed recently that the title of the movie got taken, and they made some other crappy movie about movie about it. The idea, the, my movie, will be called Plus One. All right, and it's about all the plus ones at a wedding, kind of bonding together. John Cena would be in it. John Cena is like the tenured plus one in this family of the oldest sister, and he's been in the family forever. So like he's a part of the family, but at heart he's still a plus one. So the concept of the movie is you have the main character is dating the youngest daughter in this like super well-to-do family. Main character shows up to the wedding like he's a date. He's a plus one. He doesn't know anyone, so he shows up to the party. He doesn't know who he's going to align with. It's at this wedding. Cena pulls him in under his wing, and then you got these other crazy kooks that are at that wedding that are plus ones, and then all of a sudden the main character does something to embarrass the family. He's ostracized. He's got to figure out how to get his way back in. Cena's in there as well. Great, great concept for a movie, plus one, but someone stole the title, made a shitty movie about it. So, Taylor, your idea about making sure we can be consultants or idea men for – uh, studios it's a good idea but i missed the window on that one well, hang, hang on hang on you said it was a shitty movie because it wasn't well I, the, I, I, you're you're referencing efron and wait no 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 that's mike and dave need wedding dates isn't that essentially the no plot there's, there's, no no there's no, a movie no, no, plus no, no, one no. with uh with jack quaid and maya erskine oh see with, i thought you were ref- referencing Ready for this? Ready for this? Let's let's talk about how much money this movie made at box office. I've never even heard of the film. I can't imagine it made a lot. (laughs) $23,000. Essentially, almost the same amount that Blue Note paid this podcast. You know, like like that's a rounding error, really. $23,000 is. That's... It does, it does have a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, so I don't understand how it only made $23,000. My, my idea would have killed, though. I'm going to talk to the chief. Going to see if so, he just wrote, Actually, hold on. But like, he literally just uh, got nominated for one of his, his – um, he wrote a screenplay. I mean, what's this guy doing in his free time? He's writing <laughs> screenplays. He got, he got nominated for an award. I've known him forever. He's out there right, being a little Scorsese in his room. So congratulations <laughs> to the chief. But 
he doesn't like I need, I'm gonna give him the my idea for plus one put that into a little script make something out of this chief because he's going on uh, what's the name of his screenplay something in Dame Dames I don't, I don't know but congrats to him yeah, hat tip to the chief. Uh, if he doesn't get back to you, though, we already ha- have an in with Hamburg, John Hamburg, oh, courtesy of the chief, of course. Right, but okay. if the chief doesn't get back to you, if he gets uh, too big for his britches with this nomination, just holler at Hamburg. Well, you know, this the, the movie Plus One that came out this year is actually spelled out Plus One. There's no reason that you can't use like a, a plus sign and a one. Yeah, I, it, you know, I mean, there's, a, might- there's multiple ways to do this. Might be able to finagle away in right there. Yeah, well, they, are you- they already pulled it off with no strings attached, and what was the other one? So no strings attached, I think, is Portman and friends. And, yeah, and then friends with benefits. With friends with benefits and, and, and Timberlake. And no, Timberlake. Like, yes, and they're, and they're, yeah, they're all yeah. pretty interesting. And they came out, stuff. and they came out like at the same time, didn't they? Yeah. And here's the, yeah. I, I, to be honest with you, loved both of those movies. Too. Same. <laughs> I loved them both. I did too. Uh, so yeah, I saw the Joker. I don't know necessarily what I was expecting, but if you know me, you know I don't like dark film. You know I don't like depressing stuff. Can't do scary. If I'm trying to entertain myself, I want to laugh, uh, maybe cry a little bit. But Joker was just so dark, and without giving any any uh, giveaways, really any spoilers, I couldn't really handle it, and I just felt like shit afterwards. So Joker made me depressed. Uh, the Irishman already saw that as well. Three and a half hours long. I think everyone knows and has made jokes about it. Let me tell you why the Irishman is worth sitting through those three and a half hours. It's for action Bronson selling caskets at the end. That's not a spoiler at all, but you got these Titans of the industry. You got De Niro, Pacino, Ray Romano, right? Pesci. And then Martin Scorsese decides to shoehorn action Bronson in the end. I, I'm fading fast. There's about 20 minutes left in the movie. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, just wrap this shit up, wrap it up. And then Bronson comes in with like this extra little fire under my ass. And I was like, I could, I could go another, another round. Give me another three and a half hours of the Irishman. (laughs) Yeah. When I saw it, my general take from it, definitely overrated, not in the same class as Goodfellas casino, uh, not even like Donnie Brasco. Like it, we're not in the, the Departed, not in the same universe. They spent one hour of that movie. It was probably forty-five minutes, realistically. When Jimmy Hoffa's given the guest of honor, and he's honoring Sheehan at the at some. Uh, he's not the guest of honor. Sheehan's the guest of honor, but um, uh, Jimmy Hoffa's given a speech, like forty-five minutes, where it's just Joe Pesci, like trying to communicate that he's going to get hit if he doesn't fall in line or whatever it is, and they're just talking in circles, like, hey, you know. I think it's in your best interest if you go about it this way. You know, he would take it as just, just saying that sentiment in 1,700 different ways for 45 minutes. And at some point, you got to get, you know what, Scorsese, I get the fucking point. Hoffa's being stubborn, and the gangsters are upset about his stubbornness. I think that we, we get it, all right? We don't have to do 17 iterations of this at this point. I mean, I wish I had any insight into this at all, but I, I mean, I didn't watch any of these movies. So yeah. can well, I tell you, out. can I tell you that this is going to, this is going to be so cheap that you guys aren't, I don't know if you're going to respect this or not. The the only movie that's currently out that I have any interest in seeing is bad boys three. I'm all for bad boys three. Martin Lawrence and Will Smith are fantastic dynamic. The Martin Lawrence, Will Smith scene at the door with Martin Lawrence's daughter's boyfriend uh, in bad boys two is one of the, if not my actual number one favorite movie scene 
of all time. If you see me in the streets, it's going to be chitty, chitty, bang, bang. Uh, yeah. so, yeah, I'm that, actually. That's, a, that's an underutilized line right there. <laughs> I'd love to see that. I feel like Uncut Gems would be up your alley as well, Taylor. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. I, I've actually been way behind that, yeah. But I haven't, I haven't seen un- Uncut Gems. Shark, you were, uh, you were in the film room as well in terms of some of the movies that you've recently seen, right? Oscar award-nominated movies, I should say. I have two complete opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, Saturday night, I went out during the Louisville-Duke game, which I'm sure you guys are ready to pepper me on. I went out and I saw, <laughs> I saw 1917. And Maron, that is a film right there. Maron, two hours and 15 minutes i'm in the trenches with this guy this little pudgy guy like i'm in the trenches i'm the way they film it it's all one cut i'm sure it's not all one cut but it looks like it's one cut literally i'm thinking like if they the the first 30 minutes of the movie there's one camera just following everything that goes on so i'm thinking if you screw up in the 20th minute of that 30 minute scene do you have to go all the way back to start over the scene again like all the lines that people said in the beginning i don't know Probably not, but I was thinking that way as it was going on. And they, they just film it in a way where you're just following these little these fucking British guys through through the trenches all over the place, through no man's land. It was awesome. Gripping movie. Felt like I was there. Needed a needed to take a tub at the end of that thing just to cool down. And then today, Martin Luther King Day, I'm thinking, all right, I gotta watch some of the more of these movies and I'm on Netflix. And I put it on Marriage Story, uh, the one with uh um joe hansen and yeah Yeah. and the the guy Mm -hmm. the guy from girls what just terrible like why would anyone want to watch that movie it's so depressing everyone's they're so sad it's just a sad story just uh, movie sucked i never understood making movies about shit that it's just depressing as hell you know give me give me a silver lining give me some hope give me something to laugh at give me something to be afraid of don't depress me it's about like divorce right yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a realistic look into divorce and I guess the emotions that go into it. And I'm sure they're going to have 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. And, you know, the critics are going to be thumbing themselves to how great it was and what, what a performance. But I'm sorry, for two hours, I was bored as fuck. Well, apparently Adam Driver moves the needle. It's not necessarily Joe Hansen. Adam Driver is a Which, big needle. Don't, don't get me going on this guy. I read the story about him, how he, he was on Good Morning America or something, and they played the clip from the movie, and he got so upset that they played the clip because he doesn't like watching his performances, so he got up and left. Give me a fucking break. Like, you you can't... What do you do when you're actually filming the movie and the director's like, hey, man, don't do it like this. Do it in a different way. Do not go back and watch what you just did. I mean, you're not, you're not out there... You're not out there, like, building spaceships or anything like you're, you're acting stuff lose the self-importance about how significant your work is and how you can't rewatch it again yeah right right that's i think my uh, my biggest complaint about that industry as a whole when it comes to like award show it's all this like big circle jerk of how important everybody is to themselves and like it's all it's i mean, I mean we could say the same yeah, thing about, about sports don't get me wrong like people who aren't sports fan could be like Oh, cool. Well, fuck these guys. Who cares if they won an award or whatever? But for me, as someone who isn't as big of a movie guy, I'm like, so we just listen to these guys ramble on about each other. It's like giving each other handies for three hours at these award shows. You know, it's my that's my complaint about that, about that. If he thinks his performance was so significant and so important where he can't rewatch it again. 
then why did I just spend two hours? Yeah, then why are you watching it? was like an hour and a half. Like I'm watching it, looking up Stan and Thirsty gifts while he's doing this moving performance. Like it's really not that big of a deal, dude. You could probably watch a replay every once in a while. So two things regarding that. One, you've been on fire with the gifts recently with Righteous Gemstones and also JB went on me, went on three, last chance you. Uh, But in terms of drivers, what's the best word uh, apprehension to see himself on, on screen. I get it. I remember my brother-in-law picked me up from the airport and he was listening to one of our shows within five seconds of hearing myself. I wanted him to turn it off. I wanted him to turn it off. I I can't do it. You know, I'll listen to it. I'll listen to our, our, our podcast. Right. I mean, that's probably because that's probably because your takes are terrible. You pick Ohio (laughs) State, you pick Ohio State as the best team. They go two and five right after. I don't, I don't blame you for wanting to turn it off. I frankly want to do it sometimes too. You know, I, I appreciate you segueing this beautifully because uh, what I'm, we're actually going to save a lot of these takes and revisit these takes uh, on the show. That's going to come out on Thursday. That's typically, we're going to, we're approaching the halfway point of the season so we can take a look at, my takes and Taylor's takes from the summer when we were actually holding this ship afloat uh, and, and carrying the weight of this program during the off season. Then you decided to come in out of nowhere from the the clouds. Uh, So we will address the Ohio state thing uh, next episode, but good pivot uh, because I was, I had boots on the ground in Chicago here for the DePaul Butler game. So it was at Wintrust arena right next to Chinatown because I'm on this diet, can't have anything in Chinatown just yet. So I was really upset. I wanted to have some dim sum right after the ball game. But I was expecting a really close game. Butler coming off of a loss earlier that week. They were still top five ranked in the nation. DePaul, 0-4 to start conference play, but still a good team. And they've shown flashes of brilliance, really. And they pushed Villanova earlier in the week. I was really expecting a close game and not a blowout. And if I told you it would be a blowout, a lot of people would say that Butler worked DePaul. Not the case. This was a, you know, end-to-end ass-beating from the Blue Demons. And I was very, I was thoroughly impressed with, with DePaul. And this is a little bit of a rough patch for Butler. I still think they're a talented bunch. I still love Baldwin. Uh, but Shark, I actually had a, what, what, who was a Jesse Govan situation yep. on my hands. Let me tell you about this. So to set the scene, there's a there's this there's this kid. I think he's either in college or fresh out of college. Now, granted, he was with his his parents and maybe some other family members who seemed to either be casual fans or just didn't care at all. Which that's fine. But he was your quintessential guy. He, I mean, he tried to make him sound like himself, sound like Dallin Cuff, like Lafonso Ellis, breaking down like two three zones, what this player can and can't do. And, and he was just going off about DePaul. I think he was like a DePaul basketball nerd. Uh, and he said this. He said, you know what, uh, Paul Paul Reed, that's a stu- that's a for-sure NBA player. And I was like, who the fuck is Paul Reed? <laughs> and that's when I, I texted you guys. I said, can one of you guys pull up like Jonathan Gavoni or Draft Express or something and tell me where does Paul Reed rank in some of these mock drafts? And Taylor, you came through and said that the Heat were – uh, poised to select him at 24. And I basically said, you know what? All right, maybe I was wrong, but let's see how he plays. Paul Reed then proceeds to get like 18 points and six boards <laughs> in the first half. So this was kind of the antithesis of the Jesse Govan situation. I know I'm playing into your, your, your thought of me being a hack shark, but you know, year 2020 is the year of accountability. 
I thought I had a Jesse Govan situation and it just turned. And I am here to tell you as a first-hand observer, Paul Reed is fucking for real. He is a good ball player. I, I'm kind of disappointed that you didn't know who Paul Reed was going into it. And frankly, the only reason I knew who Paul Reed was because Boston College played him at some point earlier in the year. But uh, good for that kid in the crowd, though. I mean, it, it, that yeah. team. That, how did? Um, I mean, that team has always just been Paul Reed and Charlie Moore outdoors. So it, it, they're kind of right in the ship. That's a pretty huge win. So I don't. I mean, credit to. I always love passionate fans of bad teams like that so he's gonna know better than you you got humbled pretty quickly there how was the arena good arena i was actually kind of disappointed in how how long it took for it to fill up as a matter of fact because right at tip it was pretty empty and i mean i understand butler travels well there's a lot of midwestern people schools in indianapolis i'm sure a lot of them are from chicago but it was pretty split 50 50 uh, in terms of depaul and butler fandom huh I yeah I I know that you uh, posted on your story sent us a picture of tip off or close to tip off it looked pretty sparse in there uh, and what is DePaul this year now because obviously they started strong but what's their record now like thirteen and five something like that I think they have five losses right right so if, that means they've lost five yeah. of their last like seven or eight games then right. So that's not bad though. I, I, no, no, I, yeah. no, You'd I'm not right with that. Right. That's I, that's what I was thinking is I would, would have hoped maybe the crowd would have been a little more there, especially on a year that this is better than their normal year for sure. And you've got a top five team coming into the house. I, but I was definitely surprised by, yeah, it wasn't even really close for any real measurable no, part of the game. I mean, nope. maybe the fr- under four timeout or the, you know, under 16 timeout in the first half, that was about it. And then they just, they just ran away from there. So that's what surprised me more than anything else. Same. I, I, I was shocked that Butler coming off of a, a loss wasn't more prepared for this game. And like you said, this was a end-to-end finish for, for DePaul. And then to add insult to injury, I was, I was telling Rachel, I was like, you see number, I forget what number Charlie Moore is, but I pointed him out. And I was like, that's DePaul, DePaul's best player. He might have had his worst game of the year. I mean, I, I was – probably the least knowledgeable fan in that entire arena that day well you want to say it shark or should i <laughs> well i was going to say something different i, I was going to tell him that nobody knows romanticism like subi over there taking a, <laughs> taking a hot date to a depaul butler game on a saturday <laughs> afternoon yeah right was it even an afternoon was it a morning tip it was like a pre-noon tip too wasn't it noon tip okay and okay look when you're when you're on this fucking diet hey can i can i talk about this diet by the way <laughs> Have I have yeah. I reached your day threshold? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you, you're doing it after more than 24 hours, so I'll, I'll sanction your conversation <laughs> here. I appreciate it, but you're looking for things to do out of the house. You're doing dry January with me, Shark. You're looking for any sort of social activities that you can find enjoyable without drinking. And I mean, sporting events are a lot more fun while you are drinking. But I had to get the hell out of the house. I had cabin fever over here. Yeah, seriously. I'm impressed with your. This is an official diet. Yeah, you're day twenty of the diet now. Yeah, this, nineteen. This band aid gets ripped off come Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, I uh, I can tell you that. Speaking of that sport, I did not have a dry weekend this last weekend, but you know that's a whole different story. So. I can't imagine. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but good for DePaul. Good win for them. Um, and so th- this next these next two weeks, I kind of look at college basketball like a dress rehearsal 
right? There's no football for two weeks. And those that are obviously consumed by football or maybe even distracted by football with the playoffs going on, college football playoffs, bowl games, there's none of that to distract them. This All eyes are now on basketball, either professional or collegiate. And these games are mattering uh, for, for college basketball. And there's really, we've discussed it a million times, there's no clear-cut favorite right now. So the way I look at it is that this is a dress rehearsal for the fans to check out what's happening and sort of say to themselves, oh, fuck, Baylor's ranked number one in the entire country. Rutgers right. is ranked for the first time in 41 years. What the hell's going on here? That's how I look at it. And then the second Niners and Chiefs are over, that's when college basketball has all the eyes upon them. Taylor, is that kind of how you see it as well? Uh, yeah, and I mean, this is to much lesser extent, but it's even like the NHL All-Star break this week. So there's nothing even going on for even the hockey fans that usually uh, are, are distracted by that. Um, but yeah, you know, and today is actually with today or at the time of recording, it's Martin Luther King Day. So that's always a good point uh, of uh, distinction for the basketball year because there's been basketball games on all day today. You know, I, there's been NBA games on since uh, noon this morning or this uh, or 10, 1030 a.m. out here in Arizona. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a day where if you're sitting around doing nothing, unless you're you know, watching a bunch of Oscar nominated films like yourselves, you know, there's the, the only thing that's been on today is, is basketball. So um, I, I guess there's several different uh, points of the year where basketball starts to take over Christmas being one, because it's, you know, the NBA's day, no football's going on. Um, you know, obviously the, the Octobers and Novembers are fairly dominated by, by football, but you know, it's been interesting this year, and we've talked about it a number of times. I don't think college basketball has done itself any favors in terms of – it's nobody's specific fault. I, I, I would guess it's just kind of how luck of the draw. And we've talked about it a number of times. Like last Thursday, was it? Your thumbs must have been flying off of your body because there were like 900 games on that night. You know how many games there were on yesterday? Nothing. I understand it was a it was an AFC and NFC championship game. I get that, but there's a whole morning to go, and there's like no games on. Is it tomorrow? One of the or one of these no, days tonight, this week. Monday night. There's nothing. Or on. Tonight. But, yeah, right. And, but I mean, there's been several get days this year where we go like nothing, nothing, nothing. Every single ranked team plays then, and then nothing, nothing. Every single ranked team. So I don't think they've done. I don't think it's anyone's specific fault because you have to. You'd have 360 teams that you have to all somehow figure out a schedule for, right? But it's just been kind of weird that, like, we don't, we haven't had the star power. ESPN hasn't shoved anybody down our throat this year. And, you know, parlay that with the fact that, like, the schedule has been kind of strange and that there's no real, you know, dominant team. The top 10 literally changes every week, like, seven people rotate in or out of it. And so it's just, I don't think it's been on the forefront of most people's minds for this year, even less, even less so than I think than normal, I, I guess. You're definitely right about yes uh, on Sunday. There was literally no games on. Typically they'll throw a nice Big Ten game on CBS around noon or one. They had it the previous week with um, that Purdue game against Michigan State. And then they also had Minnesota and Michigan. But that'll, that'll come into the swing. This will be a big weekend for it with the, really the Pro Bowl being the only competition this this Saturday and this Sunday should be able to find some games that and even honestly during this week I'm, I'm already on a lot of big games during during the work week for us to dive into yeah 
Yeah, you know, I think um, I, I think the the second part of that really, and if is actually has to do with the NBA, and I talked about this a lot with a couple of my buddies uh, who I saw this weekend, and that is that the NBA seems a little bit down this year too, because we don't have like Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson, and Kyrie's been out most of the, Anthony Davis has been hurt, you know, whatever. LeBron is obviously still the best basketball player in the world, but he's not like. He's not having high-flying dunks scoring 45 points tonight. He's passing the ball a lot. I, I mean, I, th- I don't think there's been a lot of excitement around this NBA year outside of, like, maybe Luka Doncic. You know, you, all of the primetime games were supposed to have Zion. The Pelicans are in primetime every fucking week it, it, and for no reason. So I feel like the, there's just basketball right now, both pro and collegiate, has had a little less hype surrounding because you have a lot less exciting players where you're either hurt or out or or whatever. Obviously, again, that might ramp up now. Like as we're, it's going to ramp up tonight. Celtics yeah, Lakers. That, that's exactly. That's, a, yep, yeah. that's exactly what I was about to say. Is you have a, a classic all-time rivalry starting tonight. So maybe this is line of demarcation of both pro and college basketball. That today, like right now, as we're as we're recording this, might be the actual line of demarcation where people say, "Oh, okay." Like it's time to focus on this now. Yeah, it's time to to get the basketball momentum going, and I think Zion's going to be making his debut sometime this week as well. So that's Wednesday. Be yep. Wednesday. Wednesday must must see television. So uh, I'll pass. <laughs> yeah, he's been he's still still Preston Blaking ever since the inception of this show. Preston Blaking on Zion, but uh, you know he wouldn't be the shark if if he wasn't doing that. That being said, Baylor, the new number one ranked team in the country, this is the seventh new number one team this year. Last episode, I did say that I think Baylor should be the number one ranked team. Lo and behold, the voters ended up listening to me because nothing really happened with Gonzaga. Baylor just kept winning. Gonzaga kept winning. And I think, you know, more logical heads prevailed. And now we have Baylor as the number one team. I think it's well-deserved. We made this distinguish distinguishment last week uh, and it's bears repeating. And I think all of us are in the same boat. The difference between the number one ranked team in the country versus the best team in the country uh, can be pretty big. Now, I don't think Baylor is the best team in the country. Do I think they deserve number one? Yes, completely based on their resume. They take on Oklahoma later tonight, and then they got to go play Florida, who in my estimation is the most uh, unpredictable team in the entire country. Oh, man. They're, after, four and, they're four and one in conference. But they And they beat the hell out of a previous uh, – I mean, Auburn had one loss coming into that game against Bama. But I, I can't get a grip on Florida right now. But that's who uh, Baylor has to play in the SEC uh, Big 12 challenge. But Baylor, for now, I'm happy with them as the number one ranked team in the, in the country. Shark, do you think they deserve to be number one and, and leapfrog Gonzaga? I don't think so. I, I still think Gonzaga deserves it. Uh, Baylor, we, we talked about it last week. Their, their two best wins, in my opinion, are the ones that happened not last week, but the week before. You had the Texas Tech, which one I was more impressed with than the one over Kansas, but I, I'll give Kansas as their other big win. Outside of that, I'll, I'll ask you two. Arizona played both these teams. Gonzaga went into Tucson and beat you. You went to Baylor and probably should have won. We spent about 20 minutes of that game talking about how you got shot 30%. You couldn't capitalize at the end of the game. Which team do you think was better playing against? You scored like 50 points again in the Baylor game and 80 uh, in the Gonzaga. Yeah, I, I, 
I don't even know if there is a good answer for this because I think it's a great example of just what we're seeing in college basketball as a whole this year. Like, let's take Washington, for example. Washington was a very highly preseason hype team, and they beat this Baylor team and have been just shit pretty much since then. They're not I, even getting I'm, a they're not even getting a vote in this week's. Well, AP they shouldn't because without Quad A Green, they're, yeah. they're they're a whole new team. So you well, right. evaluate them. Okay, sure, yeah. sure, true. But also going into the year, we didn't predict them having that him either. You know, the hype, the hype before the season started was without him as well. But that's either here nor there. I think the overarching point is that the difference between a team like Arizona and Gonzaga and Baylor, or you you don't even have to take Arizona, just anyone that's in that 25, 30, whatever range is literally like three points. Because that's what the ends of the games were. At least the Baylor game was like, what did we lose by three? Gonzaga, we had to come back. And so that was not as good of an example. Plus that one was at home. But I think what I'm getting at is, though, is it's not like the number one team in the country feels unbeatable to, buy, to anybody. Right. You know, I, and, and I don't know. That's not really a good way to answer that. I would think I would probably still rather play Baylor again because I think that we had them on the road. It was that random morning start time. West Coast goes to East, whatever. I always feel like that's a bad matchup for the team that has to do that. I think Gonzaga is just a, a superior offensive team to most teams in the country. And I think I, I, I would not want to get in a shootout with Gonzaga, but I think that you could grind it with Baylor a little, a little easier. No, but see, I'd, I'd rather go against Gonzaga again because okay. they were susceptible to that incredible run. Now they got the, Arizona got their ass beat by Gonzaga. for Sure. sure. I, the game. Don't let the final score fool you. That game was not close at all. The Baylor game was kind of close. They were down. They were down double digits for a decent amount of the game, but it was a little bit closer than a lot of people, uh, maybe who were watching it, uh, expected. So I'd rather go up against Gonzaga again because I think they are susceptible to those runs. Baylor, on the other hand, after again what they did to Texas Tech, what they did to Kansas, right now, uh, they're sure. they're not a team I want to face at all because their defense, which was suspect in the beginning of the year, has completely improved. Can so, I ask both of you to give me a little? I'm going to give you both a little assignment for my East Coast bias this week. Why are you not talking more about San Diego State at this point? They're my hug. They're, they're your hug? hug? Okay. All right. Well, because at some point, why aren't they the number one team? My understanding yeah, is that they, sure. keep, they yeah. keep pounding teams. They are doing it without some of their best players, right? Like the only guy um, – who their big guy that was somewhat good is not playing and they keep beating people in tough places to play like Logan and Utah state. So why at some point are they not getting consideration for that? Because the games they're playing are not even close and you guys are the West coast guys. You should be the one standing on top of the mountain telling us, Hey, East coast, East coast. Look at this. Look at this. You, you go to bed too early. Screw you. Why? Well, you no, that right no, that yeah. is, but that, but that is the reason they're not getting any, and I'm not, this isn't even like a, I'm arguing East Coast biasing. Tomorrow, their tip-off is at 9 p.m. Pacific. Love That's so what all what, of their games are. What are they ranked right now? They're four? Four. Yeah. Okay, but, behind but Kansas, Baylor, and or Gonzaga, Gonzaga and Baylor. Yeah, and so I'm not trying to say that they're not. I'm saying that is the specific reason why, because literally their games are tipping off at midnight uh, East Coast time. But they're they're. It's not like they're beating scrubs either. Like they've beaten Iowa, our, sure. our guys in Iowa. They've beaten sure. Creighton. Creighton's pretty good Big East team. They've gone on the road in Utah State. They've gone on the road in BYU. They, they're playing the, as good as a schedule as you can imagine for a team like San Diego State. It's just right. a matter of, all right. Obviously, we're never gonna. I wish they would play a team like Gonzaga, but 
Maybe. Well, no, here, I'm, here. I'm with you, man. And they were my hug. You just jumped the gun. You completely, <laughs> completely took my thunder. I, was well, like, I, I love what Brian Dutcher and SDSU is doing. I was going to say, I think that the reason is also is that, you, you know, when they were good previously, they had kind of like stars, as big a stars as you can have at a school like San See, Diego I, I'm State. Gonna, I'm going to agree with you on this. Like, I've seen this dance before. I've seen San Diego State lose like three games in a season before and then they get to the tournaments like oh my god they're really good at defense and they're right. super athletic but they don't know how to do a left-handed layup right. so, <laughs> well they it. used to they were they used to be kind of a grind it style like of basketball west coast yeah. cincinnati Bears. right but Same you know outside, yeah <laughs> but outside of like malachi flynn who probably didn't even make his name really as a san diego state player you know that's not why necessarily we even know him but it's it's just there's not there's not they don't have stars and so we're not sitting here and they play at 9 p.m. local and so I understand that they're good I think we all understand that they're good the other tough part is that you can't even find them on normal like TV sometimes I mean unless I don't even have I have every single sports channel you can and sometimes their games are just not on. I mean, like you'll 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 go down the ESPN list and it'll say whatever CBS Sports, Mountains, whatever, whatever. They're on like fucking Root Sports, which not even the people who have like the upper upper echelon sports packages have. Yeah, but see, in my estimation, though, I think they're perfectly ranked at number four in the entire country. I understand sure. they're undefeated, yeah. but I don't think they're getting disrespected by any stretch of the imagination. Right now, they have two Big Twelve teams ahead of them, one of whom only has one loss on the year. You have another one-loss team in Gonzaga, who's who's proven to be great thus far, and then uh, Kansas. So I I don't think I think they're perfectly ranked right now. Sure, and I don't um, I really don't know unless everybody else in front of them loses even like twice. I don't know if they're going to even move up at all because they just don't. I mean, they don't play a ranked opponent the rest of the year. No, yeah, nor, it, it's the same no, thing with Gonzaga too, though. Yeah, and nor will any of their of the teams that they're going to play will be ranked. Wyoming, UNLV, New Mexico, Utah State, Air Force, Boise State, Colorado State. None of those guys are going to end up being ranked at any yeah. point anyway. So that's just tough. It's They're in a point – yeah, they're in somewhat of a – they're actually in a more perilous uh, spot than Gonzaga in terms of, like, their conference, right? Like, Mountain West teams have talent, right? Not Way more than West Coast Conference does. So we might say they're playing nobodies – they're not exactly nobodies. They're like the level above nobodies. Whereas like Gonzaga, if Gonzaga gets knocked off, they're losing to like us three and like two dudes from the street corner. Like that's who they're playing. At least like with San Diego state, they're playing a little higher of competition. But at this point, Gonzaga had played a much better out of conference schedule. Than yeah, San Diego. They, state. Exactly. And they, they have that road win against Arizona. So right. my estimation, I actually don't think that SDSU is getting any slander. And if they continue doing what they're doing they're like Kansas and Baylor will lose again towards the end of this year. I don't know if Gonzaga will. So you could easily see SDSU at that number two spot. And if they take into consideration strength of schedule between Gonzaga and SDSU, I could see SDSU leapfrogging to number one. Well, uh, how many does does Gonzaga have? They've played St. Mary's once, right? Have they played? They haven't played them twice, though. I, don't, I wouldn't imagine. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. I would guess that you know Gonzaga doesn't. Most teams, no matter what the conference is, doesn't go undefeated in conference, even as like weak as the West Coast conference is. Uh, 
So they still Gonzaga still plays St. Mary's twice. So those, I mean, yeah, I mean those those could be those are about as good as resume wins for Gonzaga's you're you're gonna get. And one could even argue that two wins against St. Mary's might end up being better than any of the conference wins that San Diego State has, even though their conference as a whole is better. St. Mary's was thought of pretty highly coming into the year. Yeah, Shark, I want to take you for a walk right now. Come walk with me, talk with me, all right? <laughs> because I'm I'm welcoming you to the Thunderdome, baby. And you know who's leading that Thunderdome? You know who's the head honcho there? It's Chris Mack, and it's Louisville. What say you? I know you were watching 1917, <laughs> but I'm just going to give you the floor. Louisville waltzes into Cameron Indoor, and they beat Duke, basically without Jordan Awara, who had, I think, like six or eight points. He stunk. Which should be a won. problem. How many how many good teams is that going to happen against at this point? Same thing happened in Kentucky. The guy just disappears. I've called him a finesse player since the start of the year, and he's starting don't to reveal spin. himself. Well, I'm just saying. I'm, Please I'm worried don't about spin that. on me. And here's another thing. I, I did slightly take myself off of the the Louisville um, hill that I was on. I, I took like maybe I got down into a crouch, and I started looking down at the bottom of the hill when I said that Enoch was a good player. Remember that from last week? I said that. So uh, lay off me a little bit, but that's a good win. I mean, I didn't, they jumped out to a huge lead from my understanding and they almost kind of choked it away at the end, but I don't know. Louisville, they're, they're looking at their schedule. They're going to kind of catapult themselves. They're, they're going to be a top 10 team for a while at this point, assuming they don't have any slip ups. This was definitely not what I expected and they're proving me wrong so far, but I don't think they're the best team in the country. And I don't think they're capable of winning at all with a player like Nora leading the charge. That game well, was awesome, though. And the only thing that kind of pissed me off was Chris Mack at halftime. He was kind of yucking it up about blowing a lead to Duke, a huge lead. He was like, who who could blow a big lead against Duke? That would kind of piss me off as a fan because that wound is still very fresh, and it was such an unbelievable way to lose last year in the KFC Yum Center that he almost jinxed his team again in the second half. And this actually kind of dovetails nicely into my other point about Louisville. They Watching them... They are now my choice for being the toughest team to root for if you're a fan. If you're a Louisville fan, I sympathize with you so much because they have a shitload of talent, they have a great coach, and yet they are so stupid sometimes, and they're so lazy. If you watch that, watch like five defensive possessions for Louisville and how p- pathetic it is when they box out or make an effort toward the ball to get a rebound, it's like maddening. And again, this is us as a fan. I can't imagine how a blue collar guy like Chris Mack is dealing with it. But this game actually should have been a runaway against Duke because they were clamping Duke down. Um, they, Cassius Stanley was probably Duke's best player that night. Oh, yeah. But I mean, Louisville is just maddening sometimes to watch. I think that they're, the one takeaway we can have is they have an inside track for a one seat at this point just because. The ACC, right. let's, they're bad. The ACC is bad this year. There's no other way to put it. There's maybe three good, really good teams in the ACC at this point, being Duke, Louisville, and Florida State. And then there's probably a couple, hand, couple decent teams. You throw UVA and NC State, maybe Tech in there, and then everyone else is just awful. So Louisville is probably going to rip off. like They could rip off 10 straight wins at this point, and they're going to be on that path going forward. Well, so and you know, or yeah, I was gonna say precedent would show too that like Gonzaga and San Diego State aren't both getting a one seed, right? Even if San yeah. Diego, it's gonna be one or two or one of those two schools that will get the West Coast one seed. They're not gonna send San Diego State out to the East Coast as a one seed over like a Louisville. No, nope. even if Louisville has 
I, even if Louisville has five losses, they're probably not going to do that. You know, I, I it, precedent would show that that's just not what's going to happen. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're going to need to win the games that they're supposed to. If they do, which I, I think they're going to probably be favored in every single game that they have on their schedule until um, February 24th when they go to Tallahassee. I mean, that's, that's in a month. That's over a month. So they're going to be in favored in, you know, 10 straight games. They should get themselves to – 25 and three at that point, at which point they're the, on top of the ACC. They should have a one seed, and I'm not going to like them when it comes to tournament. <laughs> well, it's going to be really interesting if everything, which it's not because it doesn't even hold like for a week any of the discussions we have because everybody just fucking blows up every single week for some reason. But right now, as it stands, you have teams like Dayton and San Diego State and Gonzaga. And you could even go down as far as like Seton Hall all vying for one seed. So it's going to be really interesting to see. And Seton Hall is a Big East team, so, you know, they're a major conference team. But you've got a team from the Atlantic 10, a team from the Mountain West, and a team from the West Coast who all have real opportunities at a one seed. It'd be really interesting to see what the committee is going to do and how they rank those teams' schedules versus like a what could be like five-loss ACC champion versus like a two-loss Dayton and who, you know, Dayton will probably lose again. But, you know, how do they rank those teams that didn't play in major conferences? And I know that we have this discussion every year, but it's usually like we talk about Gonzaga and then like 10 major conference teams behind them. Right now, it's three smaller conference teams in the top seven, all legitimate opportunities that are one seed. Well, that's why I think this this two-week stretch is a perfect dress rehearsal, but we need those mid-major teams to continue winning. I don't need Dayton going down and then people saying, well, why is this an upset? It is an upset, you piece of shit, right. because Dayton's so <laughs> good this year. You know, oh, SDSU lost. Who cares? No, they're the last undefeated team in the entire country. Oh, Gonzaga mm, lost. Right. Well, that might be a shock to some. But uh, you know, th- that's why this two-week stretch is a dress rehearsal to make sure that everything looks great. And I'm sure people have heard about the anarchy in college basketball. It's truly taking place thus far. So while I two-step on, on Mark about Louisville, Nawara, and, and then beating Duke, I'm going to actually return the favor because I'm, a, I'm an honest and fair man. I'm going to let him return the favor, I should say. And he can take me for a walk now. Uh, Again, the year 2020 is the year of accountability. <laughs> I keep saying that. And I, I, I don't think you, either of you two have been accountable thus far this year. Yeah. We're not even a month <laughs> in, but I have. Hand up. I was wrong about Peyton Pritchard. I said this after he hit the game-winning shot against Arizona. And further proof positive of me being wrong about Peyton Pritchard was that nasty step back against Washington. Dagger in overtime shark. Once again, the floor is yours, but this time in a more favorable light. Well, I, honestly, when you were doing the floor is yours thing, I saw I thought you were going to talk about Ohio State, but then I remember that I got you, I got you in the corner on two different things here. So, all right, we'll focus on Peyton Pritchard. And I, again, I thought you were going to talk about the three that he hit to send it to overtime. That was like from forty-five feet out on the inbounds play where they just handed it right to him. But there's a lot of different avenues that can take here. I don't know why you wanted to bet against a guy like Pritchard. He is precisely what makes great college teams go. So for you to, especially since you've seen him for so long and I, there's really no excuse. I'm not going to kick you. I'm not going to spit on you while you're down. Like he's going to keep doing this. I hope he doesn't do it. I need them to lose. I want them sitting on a two or a three line once we get moving forward. But 
that game, he, he didn't, you could tell throughout the game, he, he didn't have to turn it on until the very end. Um, he didn't have to turn it on. They kept trying to pound it in because that two, three zone was giving him fits throughout so that he could have been chucking threes throughout the game, but he chose not to. And I actually, once he hit the three in overtime, I wanted to send out my tweet. I wanted to send out my baby Billy tweet. I wore my clogging shoes, but I was at dinner. I was getting a nice little linguine, like a little seafood linguine, and there was bad service in there. So I couldn't quite fire it off in time. But just know that I was at this uh, Italian restaurant in Northern Virginia wearing my clogging shoes when he was pounding those threes. And, you know, I could do this again for you on Ohio State if you wanted me to, but yeah. I'm done. So, no, so, I don't watch I, it, dude, because I look, I understand I'm off Ohio State, by the way, but I, I got plenty more for you. And again, that's going to come next episode. Go ahead. So, Tyler. I want to, I do want to have like a, a, a little bit of an Oregon discussion. Is, and this might go to what Subi is saying as well, is Peyton Pritchard maybe a little better than you expected, but the rest of the team maybe not as good as expected? Because in every game, I mean, he's having to score 20 plus points a game for them to win and they've pulled out some some tough ones and but they also have a couple of not great losses you know there's only two players on the team scoring in double figures uh i, I i'm not as impressed with the rest of oregon as i thought i thought it was going to be more of a collective uh everyone you know five really really good players on the team to me it's skewed a little bit more like peyton pritchard's easily the best guy and the rest of the guys are you know like in valley dante hasn't exactly done anything in the 10 games he's played and i know that like i i i'm not saying that they're bad on but certainly not they're they're a great team i just thought it was going to be more of an even keel uh team across the board where it's really more like i mean paint pritchard literally leading them in like every single category well, I thought there was got to be a couple more helpers to, to him at this point am i wrong be. am i wrong in thinking that though yes you're very wrong because if there's any coach that knows how to get a team ready for the tournament it's dana altman so i've said it before i'll say it again oregon deeper than a malnati's they have so many freaking players in that game against washington they were trying to force the chandler lawson thing the cj walker just random bouncy guys that they have but they're right. so deep and they've had injuries as well quiz duarte he was hurt for a little bit they thought he sure. would have been out for the year shaq justin he got hurt for a little bit as well and he recently came back once it gets to the tournament you're going to see that it's going to be pritchard without a doubt, getting the shots when they need it. But Duarte is going to be a great player. Anthony Mass- Mathis is going to be a critical three-point shooter. And then Dante and and um, uh, Francis Okoro even as well. Like, they have so many freaking guys that they can throw well, at you. It's just Altman's just tinkering with it right now. And, uh, and it's not and, working. And then P- Pritchard bails him out at the end of the games. So. Right, okay, yeah. But but I will give you, like, yeah, Francis Okoro is their last reading, leading score. He has the least amount of points average. And he's what one two three four five six seven eight nine ten he's an 11th leading scorer on that team and he's not he's not a bad player by any means you know no, i mean like tough yeah no, right. he's, he's exactly what saying. they need down low right exactly so th- i will say yeah they are super deep i and maybe this is just again i could be completely wrong in this i thought it was going to be a little more and maybe it's because i in Fally dante hasn't done a whole lot since he's come back i thought he was going to be a much bigger force down low but that being said, like you just mentioned, we could just be easing this into the tournament time, and that's where he really hits a hits a run there. So, because you know, pe- people were debating, like you know, on our preview episodes, uh, the Memphis guys were comp- were saying that like they would rather have had Dante than like James Wiseman. And, and I don't so, know if they said that. I think they, well, they said that, it was going to be a, a difficult matchup. But the thing is that we're diverting from is that you know this is 
Peyton Pritchard's coming out party. You said, I can't believe how you've missed this. We didn't miss it. He wasn't that great the first three years at, at Oregon. He's had a, I think he's had a serious meteoric rise this year and he's improved so much. And so that's what I was basing all of those preseason predictions and thoughts on Peyton Pritchard. But after the fact that he's nailed two game winners in clutch situations, uh, you know, I, I have to pivot and, and do a 180 on him. The, to reference back to last show, which I was not a part of, he was like the Spike Albrecht of Oregon for the last like three years. It wasn't like he was like the lead guy at any point. He was kind of going along with like Dylan Brooks and all these Tyler guys. Tyler Dorsey. You know? Yeah, yeah he right. He was the starting point guard on uh, as a freshman. That was the team that went to the Final Four, right? Yeah, right. sure. I mean, right. Rajon, Rajon Rondo was the starting point guard for the Celtics when they won their title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Well, like, he was, he, he, was he was playing with four... Yeah, he was playing with like four NBA players on that team, you know? So it wasn't like he was balling out any of these kids, any of these, like for a consistent time as like in the first two years. Regardless, I, I, who else like Dylan Brooks is good for the Grizzlies, but who else is phenomenal on those Oregon teams? Tyler Dorsey was really good in, in college. Yeah, in college, but like, at what point are you going to start crediting this? Maybe it was just Pritchard's then this great player for the Chris. Time the Chris, but every one of those other players on the team got drafted, like like first rounders, which isn't shocking for teams that go to the Final Four, right? But like, it's not like Peyton, Peyton Pritchard isn't a first round draft. I'm just saying, I I think that he's been right in front of you the entire time, and you guys haven't realized it. I'm well, not... eyes eyes are open this year. Peyton Peyton Pritchard uh, has had a hell of a January thus far. Um, Dayton's magical season continues. Let's continue on with some of these other news and notes. Jalen Crutcher game winning shot at St. Louis. I'm glad Jalen Crutcher hit that either. I wanted either him or Mike Stell to hit it because the only thing people know about Dayton is Obi Toppin rightfully. So he's a top five pick right now as it's projected he might be a Naismith player of the year, but Jalen Crutcher is a integral part of that team as is Mike Stell and a few other uh, pieces that they have. Of course, Anthony Grant doing a great job at Dayton, but their magical season continues with an unreal game-winning shot. Uh, and then this is another game I wanted to talk about real quick. Utah State. You mentioned them at the top of the program there, Shark. They were a top-20 team coming into the season, and they've just had an incredible fall from grace. I actually want to pat myself on the back for this one. Never really thought Utah State should have been there. Uh, they're a mid-major, so you may not want to give me 100% credit for that. But they went to Boise, and they were up 15 with about three minutes to go and somehow ended up losing that game. The box score was incredible. Boise, Boise State had to hit a three. They then got another steal and then hit another shot to win the game. It was like Reggie Miller in the garden. Utah State, I don't know if you guys saw that, but Utah State completely shit on themselves uh, against Boise State. All I can really say to that is just um... – Boise State, they have a guy on their name, team named Justinian Jessup, all-time lead, uh, three-point leader for that team. And just when you see a name like Justinian Jessup, you automatically think that guy, guy can just rain threes. So I don't know if that happened in the Utah State game, but if it did, good on you. But I did. <laughs> I, I actually took Boise State in that game, so I was pretty excited uh, that they came through on that. So that was a big win for me that day. I have – Zero other thoughts about that game other than that right there. Incredible gut punch for the Aggies. I can't imagine where Wild Bill was. I mean, now that we start to develop our online relationships with these uh, with these crazy fans, I mean, Bill Bill Sproke clearly doesn't know who we are, but we know who he is. That's true. At the end of these games, I'm thinking to myself, 
Wonder, wonder what Bill's reaction was to this. <laughs> we really can't imagine it's a healthy one. We got to have him on this program. I deleted my Facebook. That's the only way I know how to connect with him. Shark, that oh, you, might be on you. You deleted your Facebook? Wow. That's yeah, really. I'm, I'm still friends true. with him. I still got, he <laughs> okay. looks like, uh, he kind of looks like, actually another movie I saw this past weekend, not up for the Oscars or anything, but on Netflix, it's called um, Shot Caller with Jamie Lannister. He plays like this well-to-do middle, middle-class stockbroker. He goes out, he drinks a little bit, he gets in a crash. He gets convicted of DUI manslaughter, so he's actually got to go do time. And when he goes and does time, he's doing it in California. He's housed with all like the violent criminals as well. So he realizes early on the only way he's going to survive is if he becomes a neo-Nazi. So he becomes like this bad, completely preposterous movie, but very entertaining. And during that movie, uh, actually, I was going to say something. I don't know how I got on Bill Sprout into that. But anyways, good good movie right there. Jamie Lannister as a as a white supremacist after just a DUI. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> What's it called? It's called uh it's called Shot Collar. He literally he goes in there like and within 10 years he's running the Aryan Nation, which is okay. just absurd. Hold on, can we wrap this? How did we get into this? Can you how I was going to say I saw I was going to say I saw a photo of Wild Bill on Facebook where he looked like one of the figures in that movie. So that's where I was going down the line, but I didn't want to draw like I don't think Wild Bill Sprout is a neo Nazi or anything <laughs> like that, and I didn't want to even put that out there. So that's how I got on that tangent. Uh, well, great. Well, now he's definitely not coming on this on this podcast now. So, yeah, great. <laughs> Regardless, right. you should reach we'll out. Find, to we'll him. find someone else. Okay, Sue. Maybe we should get a uh, Ben Berger. Ben Berger could right. be solid. Uh, I reached out to Pantella Zidius, the the bench the bench guy for DePaul. Still awaiting a response. So hey, fingers crossed there. If he favorites one more of our tweets, we're going to have to start calling him a friend of the program, whether he wants to or not. Because I'm going to call he, him that regardless. Yeah, because he's involving himself in our lives, really, with those. He doesn't have to like those tweets. So he's actively doing Oh, yeah. His, uh, uh, his, his Twitter is inspirational. Yeah, it is. And, and his, his celebrations on the bench are also inspirational. <laughs> Quick last note before we get to hugs and where am I, Providence with an absolute gut punch. So uh, wherever the crier was, speaking of fans and their reactions, Providence turned the ball over and then Creighton hit a game-winning dagger three. Uh, Providence, again, there, there was a little bit of a glimmer of hope with their fast start in the Big East. Dead. Yeah. Well, they tried, they, well the crier did buy his tickets to the Final Four, right? That's uh, what I he saw just, on Twitter. He just prophesied. Wait, he bought tickets to the Final Four? I'm pretty sure just the other day he tweeted about how he bought it. Maybe he was playing tickets to where, 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 where's where is the final, the final four? four? Where is yeah. it this year? Is it? Do Atlanta? we know? Oh, it is in Atlanta. Uh, it's Atlanta, where, right? Where the players yeah, play. Yeah, it's in, it's in Atlanta. Probably, yeah, it's I don't know. I don't know how good of a city that would be for it. Downtown Atlanta is not, there's not much going on there. You got to get actually, out of city. Actually, this is my, this, this type of situation is what my dream situation is. I need Arizona in a final four in Atlanta so that I can watch them cut down the nets and then take a quick drive over to Augusta and watch the masters, which is always yeah. the week after the final four. That is my exact dream scenario of pretty much any sporting situation in life is are Jim, those two back to back. Jim Nance has got it easy this year. You know, just go to the call, the call the national championship and roll out of bed, take your time getting down to Augusta. That's easy. But and just like downtown Atlanta, the, I, I was there. 
for uh, the national championship when it was Bama and Clemson when Tua emerged. So it was mm-hmm. two years ago, and it was like there's nothing going on for big events downtown unless you're actually in it. So like all the good bars in Atlanta are kind of surrounding the city in Buckhead and in this other part of town. So I kind of you blows. can't. You know, it's funny, and sometimes I'll be looking at a map of Atlanta just for some random reason, like where the Braves' new stadium is, or you know where the new whatever is in relation to whatever. You cannot read a map of Atlanta without at least one rapper's voice in the back of your mind while you're looking at everything like College Park, Bankhead. <laughs> you can't do it. If you ever have any time to do it, just take a map of Atlanta and see how many rappers' names you can hear in the back of your head. Uh, that's almost as random as a neo-Nazi reference in this podcast, but I'm cool with it. So, well, it, wasn't those, a, it was a neo-Nazi. It was a reference to Shot Caller, a good movie on that. <laughs> Well, those uh, those masters promos that they're doing, they got the Ray Charles version of Georgia, and then I saw something on Twitter. It was just dubbed over with Ludacris's version of Georgia. So that's I mean, even you don't even have to be in Atlanta; just be in Augusta, and you hear rappers. Uh, so let's let's close this out though with some segments before we do that. Quick message from the Barnburner Podcast Network. All right, it's time for where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Taylor, you got it. So because it is Martin Luther King Day today, I figured that we needed a Memphis basketball player uh, to be uh, our um, where am I? Now, I I found an interesting kind of nugget about all of these players because Memphis has had a lot of those like fringe NBA guys, like athletes that can't shoot or big guys that don't aren't skilled, whatever. They've had a ton of those guys over the last 15 years. And every single one of them has played professional basketball in the Philippines. It's it's ridiculous. I was I spent an hour on this today trying to find one of these guys that didn't play for a team in the Philippines, and their names are un the team names in the Philippines are unbelievable, like the Phoenix Fuel Masters, like the the something shine and glows they're all like corporate sponsored it's unbelievable so if you have a second go look at through all of the memphis alumni that have played professional basketball in the philippines anyway the guy i'm going with is daniel mack he was a four years uh player for memphis he was on the national championship runner-up team averaged 10 points a game or eight points a game in his career at memphis uh played 145 games in a memphis uniform and there's only a handful of players who have played like 145 games for any team ever. He bounced around a little bit, only played about two or three years of professional basketball in places like Israel and every random place in the world. But he only did that for a couple of years. He then started a trucking company with his father, father called DMAC Trucking. That's, That's awesome. Him. Yeah, and his dad is named Greg. So it was GMAC and DMAC. Uh, They had about three to five trucks on the road at any given time. That kind of fell through. Um, Now him and his dad run uh, the OAC Sports Bar and Grill in Orangeburg, South Carolina, where on Saturday nights they have $3 shots and $5 yak uh, with two exclamation points. Also live music Fridays and Saturdays. Other than that, interestingly enough, he's the primary substitute teacher in two high schools, for two high schools in the Orangeburg, South Carolina area. He also helps coach college basketball and has an after-school program called the Flight School Program, uh, where he tries to give advantages to kids that don't 
have the uh, advantages that some are afforded in life. So really a myriad of things our guy Daniil Mack has done after his time at Memphis, from trucking to teaching to uh, slanging shots of yak on Saturday nights at the OAC Sport Bar and Lounge. Can we get the OAC Bar and Lounge to sponsor us? I'll give a shout out to the yak. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, all we would need to do is get the Shannon Sharp clip from Undisputed where he just says, you know, he says the yak, you know, like a hundred times in an de- episode. So we could just dub that in and then have Daniil Mack slanging that yak here on Theater and College Hoops. There we go. We got assignments now. Shark, you reach out to Wild Bill Sprout. <laughs> Taylor, you reach out to Daniil Mack and we'll break from there. Sound good? Beautiful. Beautiful. Shark, you, uh, you feeling generous tonight? Any hugs? Yeah, this will be a generous hug. My hug goes to uh, Vanderbilt basketball. They oh, played. They, shit. Did, did I take your hug? <laughs> Luckily, I had a backup option. So, yeah, go ahead. All right. So, I mean, this is a group hug at this point, I guess. But Vanderbilt, oh, man, he needed a hug after playing Tennessee <laughs> on Saturday night. They went 0 for 25 from three. 0 for 25 from three. They haven't done that since the modern three point line was put in in uh, 34 years that is just so bad and rick barnes quotes afterwards to jerry stackhouse were just so so uh just pitying him i felt so bad for stackhouse but i, I don't know how you missed 25 threes when when the, there were good looks too they were getting legitimate looks it's just who especially vanderbilt too like a historically a good shooting team uh we, we, i forget earlier in the show there was a reference to um like I was thinking in my head, like Providence is missing, not Providence. I was thinking Creighton hits a three. You think of teams like Creighton always being good at shooting threes. You think of teams like Vanderbilt always being good at shooting threes, Belmont, random schools like that, just in the same way that you'll think of um, teams like San Diego state and Cincinnati struggling to score the basketball, but gosh, 25. That, what a cold run right there. So do you know that there are now only two teams in D1 college basketball that have hit a three in every single game since the three-point line was put in to play? Vanderbilt was the third that was left of that. So the other two, uh, if you asked me to guess? No, no, I'm just saying that, that it's UNLV and Princeton are the only other are the only two teams left in D1 basketball that have hit a three in every single game. Really? Since the, yeah. Good for Princeton. You would think Duke, right? Like this one of those. That's what I yeah. yeah, right. Or you know, I think like even just as an Arizona fan, you know, like those Lute Olsen teams that score like 150 points a game. You know, I, you would imagine that at some point that streak wouldn't have ended somewhere in there. I can't. I was looking that up too, but I can't. I didn't get far enough into that. But, yeah, pretty crazy, I guess. Any given night, I would blame Vanderbilt's arena because they have the worst arena in college basketball. So yeah, I can't believe they, that. They I can't believe they, they practice there. So yeah, I know. So I can't believe they've shot well in there for, for 34 straight years. Wait, yeah. so Shark, what did, what did Barnes say to Stackhouse? Um, I'll read the quote for you. Um, Do you have it up? Yeah, I got it. Barnes says, you know, that – when he was asked about the streak, Barnes goes, that's a, that's a really honestly a tough situation as a coach. You sit there and you see shots that are pretty good looks at it and you just can't go down for you. Again, I've been there and this is my kind of, no, you haven't coach. You've, your team has never missed 25 straight threes. <laughs> I have so much respect for Vanderbilt coach, Jerry Stackhouse, his character, who he is. We've had some adversity too. You know, when you're talking about the guy's character, you're like, dude, I got nothing for you right now. Like your team sucks. They can't hit a shot. Uh, it's the, it's the epitome of like, uh, she's a, you know, she's, she's a nice girl. She's, she's super nice fun. <laughs> like 
She's interesting. <laughs> Get, she, fits she brings right, a lot fits to right the in. Table. Gets yeah. along with everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's a team player. You know, if you ask her for a favor, she'll she'll be able to do it. Those yeah. are those are the velvet daggers out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Hug for hug for Vandy there. My hug, actually, Shark, you're just stealing everyone's hug. Goddamn. But uh, as referenced earlier in this episode, my hug is for San Diego State. Lone undefeated team left in the country after Auburn went down to Bama. And then, of course, they lost to Florida as well. But SDSU ranked number four in the country. And it's weird. This actually goes to uh, the greater thought around college basketball. Two of the top four teams, and again, this has been referenced, Two of the top four teams are mid-major conferences, Gonzaga and SDSU with the West Coast Conference and uh, Mountain West, respectively. Number one team in the country as we speak is Baylor. Not a lot of people would have thought that. And then, of course, you have a blue blood in Kansas at, at number three. But what Brian Dutcher has done, taking over for Steve Fisher a couple of years ago, nothing short of remarkable. He essentially has SDSU back or at a better level than what they were during those transition years. I think they had two to three down years, basically Dutcher's first couple of years. Uh, but now a, a remarkable job of bringing them back to, to that caliber. And I think you could absolutely make the case uh, that they – not even the case. You could say that SDSU is the best team in, in California, right, by a pretty wide margin. Oh, yeah. I mean, who's oh, definitely. Like who, who is second in California? Stanford. USC. But do you, I mean, both yeah, of those right. teams would probably be 10 point dogs to sure to SDSU. Yeah. Uh, I think USC would be a lot closer than that. I like you're, USC. Wait, you're a USC guy? Yeah. They I, almost I like lost to Stanford. I know. I like USC. All right. I like the, the freshman center they got, Oka, Okachibi, whatever his name is. Yeah. 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 Oka, yeah. yeah. I like we him. Can, he, we can revisit a, USC then. No, I'm saying like down the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, I like USC. Sue me. Like, sorry. (laughs) Later, later. I need to gather enough evidence. They need, Uh, they need to rack up more else. But this hug is uh, strictly for for SDSU and what Dutcher has done. Aztecs. This is this is the love that they deserve. Uh, Excited to see how they finish out the second half of this season. Taylor, you have any hugs? Yeah, I do. So I just want to make sure because uh, when I was getting off the plane this weekend, I didn't. He- the last thing that got cut out when I was getting up was deboarding was your hugs. So who are you? Who are your two hugs last week? His hug was for Blue Note Bourbon, right? Okay. And sh- I forget what my hug was for actually. Okay, okay. great. Well, do, you, is- do you give it to your boy Muscle Milk because he he needs a hug after that game? I, I want to talk about Muscle Milk in the next episode. Okay. I read an article. Uh, Okay, so my my hug is uh, going to a team that actually played earlier today on Martin Luther King Day, and that's the Central Connecticut Blue Devils. The Central Connecticut Blue Devils are the last team in college basketball who are winless against other D1 opponents. They are one, and now, as of this morning, 19 so far this year, with their one win coming against Connecticut College in front of 821 people. That's unbelievable. They did also win an exhibition game against the Coast Guard earlier this year. So both of those teams are D3. Uh, they just lost to Farley Dickinson earlier today. A battle of, what was it, uh, Subi? Four combined wins in that? and just really terrible. And really, it, not even four combined wins because the one win is against a D3 team. 
college of Connecticut college. So um, you may, because you looked this up or saw them today, can anyone name me the head coach of central Connecticut? No, I only go with locations and teams. Can't, can't keep track of head coaches. Steve Adazio. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, it's actually an NBA great. Danielle Marshall is the head coach. Oh, really? <laughs> and his son, Danielle Marshall Jr., is the senior like best player on the team. So, Fuck. yes. That could have been a decent where am I, like a half breaking the rules. Uh, all right. Yeah, well, he played like 15 years in the NBA, so, you know, a little tough. So, yeah, our hug to Danielle Marshall Sr. and Jr. and the Connecticut Central Connecticut Blue Devils, who – Hopefully, I guess get a win this year because they're now one in nineteen or zero in nineteen against D one teams. Jesus Christ, Danielle. Well, their opponent today, Fairleigh Dickinson. I know you had mentioned has only three wins now, four wins on the year. It's crazy. They were in the uh, they were in the playing game last year with mm-hmm. uh, they, who's their point guard with the Cisco yellow hair? Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> he's from sure. West Virginia. Uh, sure. no, no, it's a. Uh, Jaleel Jenkins. Jaleel yeah. Jenkins. They were in the playing game last year, and they're terrible this year. It's, it's wild. Yeah. Good hug, though. And if we may, because we haven't had a Rothstein reference yet on this episode, the game today was pre- played in the Rothman Center in Hackensack, New Jersey. Well, so, see. Like, I, I, almost I, Rothstein. I was, that's in Teaneck, New Jersey, right? See, I'm, I'm committing these to memory. <laughs> Hackensack, Teaneck, I'm serious. If you ask me where South Carolina Upstate is, I'm pretty sure they're playing – in Spartanburg. That yes, being that's said, correct. I that's did, correct. Yeah. I know it is. I know it's correct. But <laughs> hometown is hometown is Ion Williamson. I'm I'm giving you guys. I actually had a little bit of a. Is that where Easter. that bar is too? Isn't that where that bar? No, that's is Orangeburg. Oh, that's Orangeburg, yeah. South Orangeburg. <laughs> yeah, but I gave you guys a little Rothstein Easter egg earlier in the episode when I said I know college basketball. Everyone's saying it's anarchy. That uh, that was your that was your Rothy ref. Excuse uh, me. No, excuse that, me. All right. Just you know you're you're off a of bye week. Now you're back into the swing of things. Uh, but that, and actually it, your hug did remind me of my hug last week. I gave it to Wyoming who was oh so close to beating Nevada and Steve Alford. They still don't have a conference one. So along the same lines. Okay. Well, we appreciate you listening. Enjoy the rest of the games this week. We'll be back next episode. We are going to revisit some of our predictions. Thanks as always. Uh, Don't sleep on, don't sleep on Oklahoma tonight against Baylor. Finish it off soon. Wow. Hey, there, there's Don't a curse for being the number one ranked team. Christian Doolittle, the enemy's kid. Don't sleep on him. Do you think, wait, hold on. Do you think Shark just threw that in at the end of the episode in case he wants to request to cut it out later and the episode would flow normally without just cutting that out? I'll tell you what, that's some good profiling you just <laughs> yeah. did right there. <laughs> He's Shark. Can't, He's back can't, from the box. Can't, can't sneak up on me, dog. All right, come <laughs> on. <laughs> we'll see you next time here on Theater and College Hoops. That's what all the people say You're riding high in April Shot down in May But I know I'm gonna change that tune When I'm back on top On top in June I said that's life Funny as it may seem Some people get their kicks
stepping on dreams. But I don't let it, let it get me down. Cause this old world, it keeps going around. I've been a puppet, a pauper, a pirate, a poet, a pawn and a king. I've been up and down and over and out. And I know one thing, each time I find myself flat on my face, I pick myself up and get back in the race. That's life. I tell you, I can't deny it. I thought of quitting, baby, but my heart just won't buy it. If I didn't think it was worth a single try Why, I'd jump right on a big bird And then I'd fly I've been a puppet, a pauper, a pirate, a poet Big boy. 